Hello, and welcome to the Scuttlebutt Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Briggs, and each week I bring you a conversation with a current or former service member at the top of their craft. These conversations will make you smarter, they'll help you explore new ideas that challenge you personally and professionally, and it'll make you more money. This week, I'm speaking with Nolan Gore. Nolan operates a landscaping company that's going to do over $5 million in revenue this year, which is more than 2x since he bought the company back in 2017. In this conversation, you'll learn why work-life balance doesn't exist and why, if you're an entrepreneur, striving for work-life integration is much more effective. You'll learn how to have difficult conversations with customers and why positioning really is everything. And you'll also hear about his Leadership Development Academy, where he takes D1 athletes and students with master's degree and puts them to work mowing lawns and reading all the entrepreneurship books that made us. It's really an impressive program and inspiring to hear Nolan's love to foster young people coming up in the world. You can find this episode as well as the other SMB-focused episodes, transcripts, weekly newsletter, and the YouTube channel, all on scuttlebuttpodcast.co. Please enjoy this conversation with Nolan Gore. Like I was saying, one of the the best ways I think to start these would be to talk to you just about like high level, like what's going on that you're thinking about and you're working through today. Is it personal life? Like what is occupying your mind space today? Absolutely. Um, when you mentioned that's where we would be going at the beginning, the first thing that came to mind is my my son. And so I'm going to kind of give you an update on what's going on with my, my kids. I'm I married to my high school sweetheart. I have four kids, seven, five, three, and a newborn. And um, our newborn is currently in the NICU. Um, and so um, in the context of work, what I've been processing is that there are seasons that it's okay. This is hard for me to accept, but it's seasons that it's okay to not be performing as well as you want to be because of other places in your life you have to carry a heavier load my wife and i are just looking at each other daily right now and saying one bite at a time we're just going to get through today so big picture what's going on in our lives my my uh my son was born at 24 weeks which is really freaking early um it was a pound and a half he's been in the NICU for over three months now He's doing really well, which is a miracle of modern medicine and God's grace upon us. Um, and there's a really good chance that he comes out being totally fine, maybe a little bit behind from a developmental perspective, but that's extraordinary. Um, a lot of the growth that I would have seen or like to have seen in the business, not capable of me having an influence on. Um, it's meant that I've had to lean on my team in ways that I'm not necessarily comfortable in doing it's meant that i've had to wrestle through how vulnerable to be with my team how much weakness do i show how do i show that what's appropriate how can i demonstrate what hard times look like um, and how do you work through those hard times because we're all going to have them and i mean I, I don't know if we're three or four weeks out from him coming home or we're eight or ten weeks out it could be longer than that depending on how things go but that's that's a really big part of what's going on in our life right now and I'm going to be a really big part of our personal story and our community story for when I look back on this season in life. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. It is such like a a vulnerable time. And when we were connecting the couple, a couple of weeks ago over the phone, 
I I went and told my wife about what was going on with you. And I was just like, this is literally crazy to me. And it, it's even more hitting close to home because my wife is like 26 weeks pregnant and we're like yeah. right in that window. And I think one of the things that you highlighted there is like, one, we live in a time like it's crazy for me to even think that that's possible, that we are able to the medicine and the doctors and we have all of this tech to just like take care of babies. Like when things happen, we that's why we have them there. My hat is off to you. I, I literally don't know how you could be focusing and like trying to manage a business. And like you just pointed out all of these big things that you're facing. That's unbelievably trying. My hat is off to you on that. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, let me dive a little bit. I think it's an interesting topic about how and when it's appropriate to be vulnerable with your team or your coworkers. Yeah. Um, I I think it dra- dramatically depends on your team and it depends on your role. But generally, the framework that I've used is um, I believe in sharing life. I, I, first of all, a big thing for me is I don't really believe in work-life balance. I believe in like work-life integration. Um, one of the coolest things about working in my job in small business is that I can bring my kids to the office sometimes. I can step away if I need to to accomplish something for the family. But it also means that when I'm with my family, I'm also got to think about work and working through that stuff. So I I try to overlap all of it. I was I am the son of a, a entrepreneur, a small business guy, and so I was the kid running around the office, and I was the kid um, going on trips with clients. And because they were friends and they were also clients and they were also coworkers and all that, those interactions is a very natural part of my life. But I recently went through, there was this uh, meeting we had the other day and I was like, Hey guys, I want you, I want, you guys are being kind about asking about how my son's doing. And I want to update you. And um, I also do you on me. And then I want you to know what you can do for me. Cause you're always asking me what you can do for me. First of all, the most important thing you can do for me is your job really well. Because when you do your job really well, it gives me the space to go and focus on my family. So that is a huge lift for my family. Secondly, I want you to know that I've been crying every day. You don't see it, but I feel it. And it hurts really bad. And um, that's okay. But third of all, I think you can also see that I'm, I'm carrying, I'm still doing my job with excellence. Maybe not quite to the high standard that I would like, but I'm sharing with you guys where I'm, when I'm, my timelines are slower than they would normally be. And I'm communicating that. I'm not letting it impact the way that customers see me and how I do my job in that regard. When you have a hard time, it's okay to acknowledge that to the team, but you still have to perform at a really high level and be able to communicate around that. And we're all going to have these moments. We've all got to have the moment to understand what it feels like to know that someone else is in that. And we have to feel, understand how to react and empathy to that. But it's still not... Uh, it, it is an excuse, but it's still, I'm still going to hold you to a high standard, like I'm holding myself to a high standard. Um, and I got a ton of really positive feedback in those conversations. And my team do care about my kids. I'm excited about bringing this boy, his name's Roy, to work and for them to see him. I'm excited about him running around and then being like, yeah, man, I prayed for you when you were born. And he's like, cool, whatever, old person. And um, that's going to happen for his whole life, right? I think as far as my personal understanding of vulnerability and learning how to lead in vulnerability and also have expectations for people when they're in their own shitty time. Um, I've grown a lot in that recently. Everything that you're saying, really, the fact that 
you're able to do that in your workplace really speaks to the culture that you've already built in your business. The fact that you can come to them and say, hey, look, this is what's going on, but it not be, it's not this thing like the show still needs to go on. You're like, hey, this is how, like you're using it as a rallying cry to say, we need to perform better because I'm not doing good. And that's like, that's hard for a lot of reasons. I'm sure as like a, a, an operator, like you're kind of used to, the one being the one driving results. And so I think that that is a, a really cool like outlook and that you're able to do that. Being former service, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day, the military does a really good job of like getting us to kind of like stuff those feelings on stuff. And when things are really hard, it becomes easy to just like, I'm putting that away. I'm just gonna like, cause you, you still need to show up exactly like you're doing now. A little bit more of an adverse environment though and you may not get the same type of positive support and lifting up as as you maybe are here yeah so actually let me reference that a little bit i think that the really good leaders know how to walk that that line um and again it's it's hard but i remember very specifically being deployed and i was in kuwait and iraq on that deployment and our ops um Opso had a kid while we were on deployment. And now I, I'll just, I'll, I didn't have a great relationship with this guy, but he was who I directly reported to. Um, we had a respectful relationship, but his inability to articulate how hard it was to be away from his wife and son when his son was born actually, frankly, decreased our level of of respect for the guy because we wanted to see like clearly this is a hard thing like it doesn't make any sense for us for for you to pretend like it's not a hard thing and if it isn't a hard thing for you i don't know if you're the kind of person i want to lead or i want to be led by um and so i i almost wish that he had been a little bit more vulnerable through that season because it would have even shown a little bit more weakness because it would have shown it, we would have we would have done more better work for him and so i think counter to what we read about and see and a little bit of what we're taught by example in the military, the really effective guys and gals that can lead in their full human self, it, it makes their team even more um, effective in the long run. And when I did have leaders that showed that stuff and when I had the gumption to show it myself, I saw better results. And so that's, if you're still in, that's something I, I recommend and then take it on. Uh, beyond uh, the time in service. I think that there's an element of that too, that when you can, as the leader, be the one to to break the ice on doing something like that and kind of expressing some vulnerability, it sends these messages without saying anything directly. It's like, hey, this is something that, that is okay to do. And it also sets the tone for this is how we're going to operate even when something is really bad. It's not like we're going into full breakdown mode and things are just going to shit. And then you ask why, and it's like, oh, well, I've got this going on at home. It's like, no, we got to address this up front, set the kind of the tone for how we're going to to maneuver around this. And like you said, it's kind of a, can be a rallying cry for the people below you to kind of come together and operate at a higher level. Yeah. And I think that, a big part of it too is that uh, if you ask any of those people in those other rooms, they would still say I'm doing pretty damn good jobs, right? Like I'm still performing really well. 
It's just not as well as I knew I should be performing. And I know I could have performed had this not been the, uh, the circumstance I'm in right now. How do you manage the feeling you were referencing this a few minutes ago, but manage the feeling of it's okay to not be operating at a hundred percent all the time? What can you kind of like unpack that a little bit? I'll go where my brain went first. So my whole life, I'm one of those annoying people that my whole life just always expected great results and always expected to win, even if it wasn't rational. I don't struggle with a lack of confidence is maybe a best way, a better way of saying it. But uh, this has been tempered with um, a, a faith that teaches me that I believe genuinely um, when my head is in the right place, my heart's in the right place, that I'm no matter what I do, I'm not going to be good enough, right? And that's okay. And that's actually encouraging to acknowledge because we have a, a God that loves us no matter what. And so a big part of my story, and this might be an appropriate time for me to kind of back up and talk about why I got here and then address this question or how I got here from a story perspective. But like I mentioned, my my dad was a, a business guy, is a business guy, very, very successful business guy, very esteemed in our community and has built some very large businesses. And it was a really hard thing for me to come back to business and realize, frankly, I'm probably not going to top the guy. Now, let me be clear. I still believe I will. And there's a pretty good chance and check in with me in 50 years. But it's going to be, the chances are not good if we're just looking statistically. And that's okay. You know, so all I could real, and and this is also the guy that's coming from a a farm in the middle of Kansas who really did pull his own weight the entire way. And so I started higher and I'm still going to probably end lower. And I had to get to the So the idea that that's okay, like that's not the dealt, the hand I've been dealt. All I can do is act honorably within the hand I've been dealt and bring a lot of other people up with me. And that's the goal now, right? And I get to still work around my dad. I still love him tremendously. I respect what he's done tremendously. And again, the only way I can get around that, that feeling is just the belief that all I've been given is by God's grace anyway. And so I'm going to be grateful for what I have and do it my best. There is kind of like a weird sense of understanding where you're born and also like acknowledging the things that your parents had. And I think there's kind of this natural belief that we're like, oh, we're we're obviously going to achieve more. I mean, like, look, they they busted their butts and it sounds like in your case, busted their butts to give you. Uh, uh, put you in as good a position as possible. Not everybody has that the the fortune to do that, but it sounds like that was the case here. And I think that it's like kind of a default thought to imagine yourself like expanding and improving on that. But yeah, a uh, tough situation. What maybe we should take some time and, and talk a little bit about maybe what his background and then maybe what he has taught you about business and uh kind of get into that a little bit so my dad was born and raised on a farm in kansas um, his dad was pretty ill and so because of that he was kind of the man of the house by 11. it's not something you envy not something i want for my kids um it's something that was really hard for him and his family and um, so he was doing school and running the tractor in the evenings, right, or in the mornings, and all the other things that had happened on a dinky farm in southwest Kansas, which is 
right in the heart of the Dust Bowl is a pretty terrible place to farm, frankly. And because of that, there's like always been this sense of like, there's no excuses that are good enough. Um, he's never articulated that explicitly, but like knowing his story, just like, well, I, and it's so good. There's no, there's no way I can talk back on anything. He went to Kansas State and just, for, I mean, he was, he was a, a genius. We don't even get too hard into that, but he, he's, he likes to leave doors open. So he went and took the MCAT, the LSAT, the GRE, and the GMAT and took, scored the top 5% on all of them. And because he didn't know what he wanted to do. And <laughs> what a situation to be in. Ended up doing none of those things because he wanted to marry my mom. And then they moved to Texas because she wanted to go to UC Law, which he never ended up doing. And he was like, joined the landscaping company with my uncle, just as like a interim. And that thing turned into a big company that they sold. And then he started other companies after that and all that stuff. But that led to me being a kid running around businesses, going to the same school. I went to Texas a and went to the Marine Corps. And a big part of the, the Marine Corps was, in retrospect, I don't think I realized this at the time, but in retrospect, it was because I needed to leave that shadow. And then you, I already worked through the bit on me having the process that coming out of the Marine Corps. When I came out of the Marine Corps, I was going to go get my MBA this business someone just called my dad on it the one i'm in now and said hey you want to buy this thing my dad called me and said hey you want to put your life savings into a business that's losing money and i said that sounds like a great idea let's do it and uh, i think an interesting topic would be like the, there's this constant refrain in the eta community the um, entrepreneurship through acquisition community about whether or not you what size business you should buy from a risk tolerance perspective and everything i bought a really small business right one and a half million at the time of buying into it I still have a business partner who was here before, and I think it was fantastic for me to buy that small. Again, we can get into that, but let me answer your question, really. When it comes to like what my dad has taught me about business and how that applies to what I do now, first of all, I spent hundreds of hours listening to my dad on speakerphone, working through stuff, right? Just driving around in the car. He had like the speakerphone in the car when it was still really shitty and you had to kind of yell at it and stuff. I mean, it's still kind of that way, but it was really bad back then. Um, you had to like get it special installed. Well, I didn't realize until maybe three years ago how valuable it was for me to have those hundreds of hours of working through how to choose someone out, how to give someone your confidence, how to talk to a client, how to work through an issue with a client by telling them that it's not really your fault without telling them it's really your fault and getting them to believe that. All that stuff, super valuable. I do that stuff all day, every day now. Secondly, I got to live the world of like the, the small business owner. He was constant, everything, again, the integration, everything was integrated, right? Like we went on vacations because to, to specific places if we got to go on vacations because that's where clients told him to go because he wanted to go back and talk to the client about it because it would help build that relationship. Um, his best friends that are still his close friends and now are like uncle figures to me in many regards were clients and there still are, which is a crazy thing, which brings me to the next thing he built or that I learned from him is he just is the, an extraordinary representation of what long-term looks like. He's, he's had these relationships in Austin, Texas for 35 plus years that have been built on integrity, quality of service over the long-term, not the short-term. And he can just make moves that look impractical in the time because he believes in what 10 or 20 years from now looks like. And they've built an extraordinary community around that. And not only have they been very successful in business, but they've, they've really impacted a lot of lives, which 
counts for more in my opinion it, it's an, it's enabled by making money you have to make money in order to have that opportunity but he's provided a lot of opportunities for his employees and a lot of relationships with clients so those are some big things i've taken away i do not do the same the exact same as my dad i don't plan pretend to i am not my dad i run things differently i focus on different things I'm organized in a different way than he is. I have different, far different leadership skills than he does. Not better or worse, just different. Um, but I, I saw my dad today because he wanted to chew me out about his yard, which was cool. I still learn stuff from him all the time. Still call him to ask questions. What do you think was the final release for you of that getting out of the shadow feeling? It was the better understanding of God's grace. I mean, that's it, right? Like the, I cannot, it doesn't matter how big or, Small, I built something. I think there's a pretty damn good chance I'm going to build something big that I can be really proud of. But I, it really doesn't matter. I'm going to die and people aren't going to remember who I am. The only value I have here is from the love God's given me and then the love I can pass on to others. And, and love doesn't necessarily be all soft. A lot of it's hard. Um, but in, in coming to grips with really, truly believing that, um, which is a progression thing. It's not a, it's not a sun snap moment. That's like a, you're working on that hard thing for law, lots of years and dealing with that. That's what's really pushed me over the edge. And now I'm just grateful. It seems like one of those feelings that, as you said, it's a slow burn over time. And then all of a sudden you, you don't even really notice that you've changed your mind about something, but then somebody asks you and you go to respond and you're like, oh, I, I didn't think that before. It's kind of like a weird kind of out-of-body experience almost. Yeah, I actually think one thing I've learned, talking back to the very beginning of the conversation about my son being in the hospital, I realized that being willing to have the conversation repeatedly has helped me process a tremendous amount. So I don't know what I've told who. I just try to, I, but I can tell that I'm having the same conversation and it's shifting slightly each time based on how he's doing and how I'm processing things. This is the same thing, but over a larger period of time, right? So just the same with my son, like I'm, my heart is changing about how I'm handling it. The circumstances around it are changing, but me communicating that to people every single day, whether it be with my wife or people at work or my friends or our church or whatever it ends up being, that has helped me really understand what I'm feeling. Same thing goes here, right? Every time I talk about it, I understand myself a little bit better. I understand exactly what I'm feeling a little bit better. And like you said, like I, I took me until maybe two years of being out of the Marine Corps and back in the exact same industry that my dad was from in a different business to really realize, oh, I didn't realize I went to the Marine Corps because of this. I mean, I, I didn't realize it while I was in the Marine Corps. I didn't realize it until years after getting out that that was a big, one of the top five reasons I was over there. You've talked about the balance or integration, as you call it, of like your work and your family life. What does your wife think about that? And how do you, in the best way, bring those things together? Because I think that you're, the way that you describe that, to me, sounds like the most optimal thing. Because it, it tells me that you love what you do. When you can bring your work home with you and you want your personal life to be combined with your work, that means you're doing something that you really love. And it's like, it can become this all-encompassing thing. I feel in a similar position on a lot of stuff with this podcast. I love that. And I love being able to like be at home and do this and facilitate these conversations. Okay. Drawing that line, or oftentimes I think there needs to be a line 
it really, when you've got a partner that maybe doesn't understand that, how have you worked through that with your wife and maybe how does she feel about it? Yeah. So let me answer a little bit of my story that goes into how my relationship with my wife is framed. Mm-hmm. A, a bit about what it means to me to love what I do and then how that ties into what your pat like passions from a work perspective this is something I feel pretty strongly about. So my wife and I grew up together, which is not something most people can replicate. I knew her since I was a little kid or little brother from the same kindergarten class. We used to vacation together growing up. So that framed a deep understanding of each other's families and how our families work. Like I literally, she literally was on vacation with my parents before this is way before we were dating. Right. And I was on vacation with her parents. And so that was never like, she understood my framework in my growing up in a small business world, um, way better than I could have articulated anybody else going into marriage. Right. Cause she just saw it growing up. Secondly, I believe this is a really a, a thing that I don't think people, I've never heard someone talk about, but is a big part of our story. Military was a fantastic starting point for us in marriage. It can be a really bad place for certain marriages, but it was really, really good for us. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase leave and cleave. Like we didn't live together before we were married. It was very much a new start. Um, she was she was several years younger than me. I, I took her out of college to get married. A lot of our community was very confused and concerned about that. Um, we said, screw it, we're doing it anyway. We had her family's blessing and my family's blessing, but a lot of our ancillary community was confused by that and concerned because she was only 20, barely 20 when we got married. Um, but we went to the Marine Corps and within weeks, I was gone for a week at a time. And then I was gone for every single week for four days for a while. And then two years in the marriage, I deployed for seven months. And her ability to grow in her self-confidence of running our home, her life in a different part of the country um, without me was a huge confidence boost to her, huge confidence boost to me. And that framed the next stages of life, right? Now, if I work long hours, I'm still not gone four nights a, a week. <laughs> you know, I'm still not about to leave for seven months or longer at a time. And so we still feel it's like it's really good, even though I work way worse, that way worse, different hours than many of her friends' husbands. Um, that's been hugely valuable to me. Now let's see a little bit into how I view this like love of work thing. I'm not like a, like I just I I just love business. I just love thinking about problems. I love thinking about different ways of moving the pieces around to accomplish things a little bit better. That's what I think about in the shower. That's what I think about when I'm running. Like I can't help myself but listen to a book on anything and I'm going to think about what it can do for work. But um, I don't necessarily love, and this is where I get to the passion thing, I don't necessarily like love landscaping uh, and that run a landscape business, right? I think it's cool. I, I value it. I think it's a valuable service and I'm proud that we do well. And there are definitely services that I wouldn't be as proud about. But it's like, uh, give me the opportunity to lead a team with a lot of humans that is building something that is uh, we can be proud of. It gives us valuable service to customers where we can make customers happy and do God or, God glorifying work. And I'm pretty happy in almost any service business. And I've thought about doing another service business. Isn't likelihood at some point I do another service business? Um, and 
let me be clear. I don't have any intention of selling this business. I tell my team that all the time. I believe that. I've seen my dad go through some painful times after selling business. I've seen close friends go through some painful times after selling a business. That is not my intention. But it doesn't mean necessarily that I'm the right person to be in the seat for the next 30 or 40 years. If there's someone better than me, then bring it on. You do it. I'll go do something else. I think that we get this, this thing about being passionate about what you do wrong. I think that there can be parts of it that you can be excited about or passionate about. But a lot of times, I mean, work is cursed. We are promised that this is not, this is broken thing. It's not going to be satisfying all the time. It's still going to come up short. But I do believe that the idea of work is a blessed God-given thing that is, can be, and should be a night of worship. And I mean, I'm going to have fun every day doing it, but I'm really grateful to be a part of something that I believe in and going forward. So passionate about like landscaping? No. Passionate about building the team and the people that are around here and providing a good service and working with Rogelio and Felix and Cesar and Eliezer and Joe and Leroy and Vanessa and all these people. Yeah, super passionate about that. I love it. The people that I listen to that talk like you say similar things. And I think that my takeaway has largely been that you may not always be passionate about what the specific thing is, but there is a an intangible thing that you're you're optimizing for personally. And it sounds like yours is impact. You really enjoy the impact that you get to have on your customers' life. You get the impact of growing this team and impact positively impacting their lives. You enjoy that. And, and I think that in good entrepreneurs, you they are chasing something that is qualitative. It's not like a, oh, I'm really passionate about like this specific act of work because on a long enough time horizon, you're not going to be doing that. You know, if you start out a lawn care company today, you're going to be mowing lawns. Maybe you really love to mow lawns. If you want to mow more lawns, you can't mow lawns. Like it's, you eventually kind of graduate yourself out of the business. And I think that those bigger, more qualitative elements are, seem to be uh, an interesting trait that I'm picking up on in uh, some successful entrepreneurs that I've talked to. We're uh, about 30 minutes into it. So now it seems about the most appropriate time to kind of get your introduction. You've hinted at a couple things, maybe spend two to three minutes talking about what lands you here today and maybe up through your acquisition. You said uh, private school, Texas A&M, US, the Marine Corps, and then buying a business, maybe kind of fill in a couple of those gaps and, and bring us up to speed and we can roll from there. Yeah. Let's see if I can make it more interesting than I did before, which is going to be a challenge, but um, born and raised in Austin, Texas. I am, I am bullish on Austin. I love Austin. Uh, my wife misses old Austin. So that's a constant tension for us because um, I like the opportunity that's now affording was in Austin before Austin was cool. So born and raised small classical Christian school, which they really focus on teaching you how to think and not regurgitate knowledge. So I was not at all, I mean, I was prepared, but not like I was not a good um, at like standardized tests and stuff like that. I was much more, it's like every class is sit around a table and have a discussion and argue your way through anything including like math and science classes. Went to Texas A&M and I was a finance major, decided to, um, I went and worked at Wells Fargo in the bank for a summer and it was so miserable that I called the Marine recruiter. And at, like I remember standing outside and the, the recruiter actually said, hey, uh, sir, you probably wanted to call an officer recruiter. That's how incompetent I was. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and, and 
could and so he pointed me towards another show thankfully uh, based on my general interests and I, I went and talked to him and got in the marine corps i think it might be interesting to talk a little bit more about how i chose the marine the, the military um at some point if that's interesting to you but we'll move through that now aside from just the fact that i hated the bank went to the marine corps did for just four years and had a really great experience and in fact I had such a good experience. It was part of the driver of me getting out. I knew I was going to have a worse experience if I stayed in. I got to be in a fantastic base, meaning I was in Pendleton. I was in California, living on Texas taxes. I knew I was going to end up in 29 Palms or North Carolina. It's not terrible, but compared to Pendleton, it wasn't going to be as much fun. I wanted to be as close to the NCOs as possible. And I was an engineer. So the farther I progressed, the more of a staff officer I was going to become. That was not interesting to me. I wanted to be in the field with corporals and sergeants and below. And I wanted to really, I liked the physicality of it. And I just knew it was going to become less physical. I also got super lucky with the assignments I was in. I got to deploy really fast. I got to be in Iraq. It was the first group in Iraq after the ISIS stuff. It was, it wasn't exactly kinetic, but it wasn't exactly boring. We got a bunch of rockets shot at us, but I never was actually looking at a bad guy in the eye, which is a good thing. Um, if you're most Marines, and I still feel this sometimes, sometimes we wish that we would have had a little bit more opportunity, but it, when I am wiser, I remember that that's actually a good thing that I didn't. I got to go and do a big exercise in Oman as well. And my boss got hurt right before we went. So I actually got to be in charge of the security delegation to Oman, where I was in charge of a hundred plus guys um, for that 60 plus days. And I mean, fantastic leadership experience. Again, I was doing things I shouldn't have been able to do. I knew that I wasn't going to have the same opportunities. And I knew I wanted, we had our first daughter and our first kid and I, and I wanted to get back closer to, to home. And so my wife actually wanted me to stay in and it wasn't like a strong argument, but at the end, I, I decided, we decided that we were going to get out and we came back to Austin. And like I kind of mentioned earlier, this, this company kind of fell into our family's lap. I have a, there's a, there's a guy named Golden who was running it day to day. He was not one of the owners, but he was really good friends with the owner. And we gave him ownership when I came in and we were equal partners. And when I came in, I was 20, beginning of 2017 uh, or in 2016, again, doing one and a half million. And since then, we had some really significant fights in 2020 around COVID, not because of COVID, but around that time. By Again, by God's grace, we came through that season and I bought out his majority share. So I, I now own the majority, but he's still a really fantastic business partner to me. I, I still treat him as an equal. Since all that happened, we've had three more kids, like I mentioned earlier. So we've got four kids and my world generally revolves around about 15 minutes from here. So I live 15 minutes from, I work 15 minutes from home. I go to church 15 minutes from home. My kids school are 15 minutes from home. Both my in-laws and my parents are 15 minutes from us. My best friend lives basically down the street. That is the, that is the life we're in. The plan going forward is I plan on doing this for a long time. I plan on raising our our kids and seeing where God takes us, whether it's in this business or doing something else. I'm tremendously passionate about leadership development. I'd love to talk a little bit more about that, what we do specifically in the businesses to do that. Um, and so I spend a lot of time around younger guys specifically, but sometimes younger, younger gals that are looking to grow in, in business. And we spend a lot of resources and time helping them get there. I would love to get into you buying this business uh, I always think it's interesting when you've got a, a second party that's involved, especially as like another owner of the business. Can you maybe like unpack that a little bit? Talk about maybe why that was a good or a bad decision 
and maybe with the benefit of hindsight, what you would have done differently knowing what you know now? Yeah. So first of all, I'm just, I'm just a kid coming out of the Marine Corps. We don't have any idea if I know how to make money, right? Like we can, the way my dad talks about it, I think it's actually a pretty good analogy. It's like when you have someone go through like the NFL combine, you know, which guys ran the fastest who have the, did the most bench press and squat the most, the biggest hands, um, whatever, like this guy's got all the intangibles, but those guys don't always translate to actual players, like good players. Right. And like you end up with those Tom Brady's like, ah, maybe he kind of sucks, but we'll take a risk. And it turns into Tom Brady. So we have, that was a great story about one of his first ops guys was had checked every box. I'm going to come back to your question. I'm sorry, but I'm excited about this story. Checked every box, cleared his desk every day, was extremely organized, great communicator. They weren't making money. My dad couldn't figure it out. And he ended up having taken a job to move with his wife back to um, Oregon. And his number two was like a field guy. Didn't even have a high school degree. And uh, he's like, my dad literally looked at him and said, George, you're in charge until I find someone else. And the next week they started making money and it was not organized. And it was like a little bit sloppy. And, but the guy just knew how to run a business, like just run his little portion of the business. That guy now is like one of the top guys at a hundred million dollar company. Never finished high school, but he had to, he had it right? Whatever it is, he had it. So we looked at me and we said, oh, he's got some pretty big hands. He can run pretty fast and he's got a good legacy and his dad played pros, but you know, we don't know if he's going to be any good. So we're not going to take a huge risk there, right? And here's the opportunity. Let's see. So it wasn't a huge, I mean, it was a, a very significant financial risk for me because I put all of our savings into it and borrowed some money to make it happen. But it was like borrowing from my dad. So I wasn't putting our, our livelihood really at risk. It was going to be uncomfortable. Golden had been running the business and he had a track record of helping customers. I mean, they, I say they were losing money. They were, they were squeaking along, right? They were surviving, but barely. I mean, at first glance, it looked like a weird decision to put somebody else heavy on top of that structure. We decided to take a risk on it. So it was a, it was a coupling me with someone that had a lot more life experience and specifically experience in the business, right? And so that was really wise and worked out really well for the beginning. And my first task was just like, figure out how to make money. Like, or like no, no, figure, figure out how to cover your own costs, Nolan. Like, that's what I'm going to do. I came in there, we treated each other as partners. Like, I'm going to raise prices and find expenses to cut and not pay myself very much in order to figure out how to like survive this first year while I get my feet under me and we figure out which of our roles better fits. He's much more operationally focused. He's system oriented. He's organized. He's task driven. I'm much more big picture. I'm more employee focused. For a long time there, he focused on today and tomorrow, and I focused on everything else. And that worked really well for us. In the end, a great quote that applied to why we ended up having to do what we did is that it was not better. It was not that one general was better than the other. It's that one general is better than two. Again, it's not that one general is better than the other. It's that one general is better than two. And so we came to this point where we were just fighting like cats and dogs and not his fault. In many cases, it was my fault. I wasn't a great communicator around some of the things that were driving him nuts and vice versa. And we, we got to this point where we realized like one of us has to be in charge here. There was also some misalignment from what was needed from a financial perspective. I had little kids, he had grown kids. Um, and so what he needed from that perspective versus what I needed and what I wanted to pull from the business versus what he needed to pull from the business were not aligned. 
And we realized we could solve both of those issues, both the leadership issue and the financial issue in the short run, at least by me paying him a significant chunk of money to buy out a bunch of his share and become the majority owner and therefore the de facto leader. And to his credit, he's done a fantastic job of being a number two. And I felt very comfortable being a number one. And I'm not everyone suited for that. A lot of people are suited really well to be a number two, and that's not better or worse. It's who you are. Um, that's okay. So we went ahead and did that. And uh, me and Arlo could have been um, far from perfect since then, but much better. Um, and and I'm really, really grateful to have him around. We still fight. We had an uncomfortable conversation this morning, but that's normal. That's life, right? Like that's, we just spend so much time around each other. And I mean, I see him more than my wife a lot of days, right? So need to find a way to get along with as much time as you spend with them. As you talk to other junior people looking to buy a business or maybe looking at another acquisition or some something similar, do you recommend that people partner with somebody, whether that be in an ownership format, like a, a I don't know what your guys' split was, but if it was 50-50, is that in your best interest if you're maybe not as familiar with the business or do you think that eventually it's going to come to that point and maybe you should just rip the bandaid off and pull the trigger on just taking it all and, and figuring it out or hoping that you can figure it out? I think it is a unique relationship that can manage 50-50. I think, like I said, I think it's, I think it's important to have a leader. The, the second thing is if you're going to look at partnerships, you have to look at some really important things. I think writing those things down about what, I mean, and, and actually Gardley had a really good thing on this on Twitter the other day about like a two-pager from a partnership perspective on like, let's talk through all the important things before we go through legal. Like, mm -hmm. hey, I want to hold this property for over 10 years. And he's like, oh, I want to do two years. Like, oh, okay, we shouldn't do this. So like, Al, what is your, like Golden and I, we didn't even work through it, but we both have a, like, we want to grow really big. If we both wanted to like, we wanted to back off. One of us had a, we were misaligned there. One of us like, I only want to get to 5 million and I want to coast. Whereas the other one wanted to just keep pushing. That would have been really uncomfortable. So you're like, what is your vision for where the company goes? What is your personal vision of what you think you need to be making from a financial perspective? What is your uh, vision from a geographic perspective? What kind of hours do you expect to be working? All those things, which again, Gerbley does a good thing of breaking out in that thread. Those things are really important. Secondly, you have to have a really different skill set, I think. You need to realize, like, otherwise, why are you doing it? It needs to be beneficial from a, like, Golden. Again, Golden is really systems-oriented, is really detail-oriented. I'm not, and I need that in order for me to reach my full potential. If he was a lot like me and had a lot of my personal issues, then we should go, we shouldn't be in the same team. We need to be reinforcing each other. And we do that really well. And if you don't do that, then you probably shouldn't be partners with someone. I think it goes without saying, but I will say it. If you don't have very similar worldviews and moral alignment, you're going to have some pretty significant issues come up. Um, and then the last thing I'll say on this one is, even if you love and trust and respect the person without question, you should still pre-fight everything while emotions are still good. Um, you should talk about what happens and and paper up what happens if this shitty thing happens, what happens when this shitty thing happens, how do we handle this shitty thing, what happens if I die, what happens, like, let's go work through all those things while we're thinking clearly, 
and we still have a vision of everything working good. And let's just hope they never need it. But if we do, I want to know what the answer is before we get there. And we were almost at that. I mean, we, we used those documents to help us resolve a lot of things in that really hard time. And I was so thankful to have it. I think you highlighted some really good things there. Uh, just getting not just a verbal agreement and like, because it's so easy to kind of fall into talking with a friend even about like something that you want to start together and, you know, like, oh, we'll just do this and we'll we'll make this big thing. But the reality is you guys largely have different views or likely have different views about how things ought to be handled. And especially like, hey, maybe even if the business is a success, you still need to know like, hey, when if they in their head, they wanted to get to a certain point and then just kind of lifestyle business their way out of it and just chill, you know, that's something that you might need to know. And yeah. you said, did you call that pre-fighting? Yeah. I like that. That's cool. Uh, just, hey, if if I die or, you know, we have a fight over this, this is how we're going to resolve it. Kind of a system one, system two type thinking. You were saying that you guys had complementary skills. Did you know that at the time? No. Super lucky. Just lucky. I don't, th I, again, I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. and, and I think my dad just felt comfortable throwing me to the fire. <laughs> it's worked out well, so you can thank him for it. Yeah, absolutely. I learned a lot. How do you think about finding people with complementary skills to you now? Is that to do that successfully? Does it just a matter of knowing where you're weak? Well, so it can go in multiple directions, right? Like uh, it can go in this, like how you work and process, but it can also go in like a hard skills perspective. So I had a lunch with a guy yesterday who's an engineer I'm trying to do this real estate deal. And I was like, hey, man, I don't know how to do any of this development stuff but I can be a tenant that'll pay the bill. I'll pay the bill. You figure out how to add value. What do you think? And like, that is another way to look at it. And the way I looked at it now, I'm more, I've got my guy. He sits right over there. He, he works through the, he, he is help. We both make each other way better. And I plan on that being my guy for a while, pending something crazy happening. He's, we're, we're going to be on this road together for a while. As far as like other individual deals that help benefit our company, et cetera, that's when I start looking at hard skills. Now, again, something else we could talk about if you're interested is like, I believe pretty strongly in, um, in incubating businesses rather than starting or buying. Um, I think that people don't talk about incubating near enough. Now, when that comes to pass, I'm going to take some of my young guys, and I'm going to send them out, or I'm going to start something internal and then spin it out. That that's when we're gonna have to start thinking about their skill sets and what kind of partners we need to find for them or if they can lean back on the, the mother structure for those skill sets um mm -hmm. as they grow have you incubated anything so far we have started other service lines internally which i don't consider incubating i consider that just you know, building service lines out um, we started an irrigation department internally something we really needed and made sense and that was a whole story in itself um, of figuring out how to pull that off because it's license-based. And so how do we get all that taken care of and beholden to personalities and all that stuff? But what I have seen work really well is um, my dad's janitorial company spun out a window washing company and a surface refinishing company over the last bunch of years. And that was really, it's been really powerful. So they leveraged all of their back office and relationships, created a new company, started off at very small, the person that ran it, they, they purchased a small window washing company, 
And then they started providing this service to clients that were already on their books, right? It's the same billing process. It's the same people. They're calling people, they're calling Jam, already knows them as the janitors. Hey, we're also doing window washing. Isn't that cool? Let's do it too. At first they started subbing it and then they got to where they could do it all internal. And now they clean like 70% of downtown Austin, those high rises. They're the guys on the ropes that are doing, dropping down the side of stuff. They're their own standalone. They have their own back office. Um, they have their own culture. They don't even office in the same company as the janitorial anymore. They have their own relationships. Some cases they have different relationships, but it was, they were able to take a really high powered young guy that sat not literally at the feet, but in the same office as my dad for years, figured out how he did things, not from a systems perspective, but more from a relationship perspective, some system stuff, and go uh, when they needed to. And it's been very successful. They're now doing it with a security company. Um, the, the surface refinishing has gone really well. It's not going to be a huge business, but it's going to be a really good business. And, uh, and so I think that we'll probably do a similar thing here because we do residential landscaping. I think we'll probably eventually get to where we're running a fencing company. Um, I think we'll, or fencing and decking. I think we'll eventually do a pressure washing company or a fertilization company or a pest control company or a, whatever it ends up being. I've got 4,000 credit cards in my system. There's a lot of power there and a lot of people that trust us. We got. We have the ability to leverage that into a much easier way of starting something than just going and starting a fencing company. Um, brand reputationally, the customer list, the trust, all that stuff makes it way easier to start that kind of thing than it would in any other way. So we'll probably do that. I don't know if that'll be. That'll be dependent on how fast we grow and whether or not some of my young leaders get itchy to go do their own thing or they want to stay under our wing for a little bit longer. When do you think about is the right time to be looking for opportunities like that? As you said, like it's you want to be like kind of established and b- make sure that you can deliver one service really, really well. But as you said, it's probably hard to not look at other opportunities where, you know, maybe you're mowing a lawn or something for a client and, you know, there's a different company that's there washing the windows or, you know, they're doing something that you're you're right there next to them. And maybe you could be doing that too. Is it, you know, listening for when the customer asks you? Uh, is it a certain size and scale that you think about? How how do you go about thinking about that process? I think a big part of it is is the people, right? If I had a pest control guy from Houston show up in my office tomorrow, I knew his friends and trusted him because I had some depth of relationship there. And he's like, no, I want to start a pest control business. I'd do it tomorrow. I, some of the guys that I had here, one guy in particular, I think could really, well, no, a couple of guys, cool folks in particular, I think could really run things for themselves. They still probably need a couple of years of experience of pe- managing people, developing their skill sets and stuff before they're ready. And a lot of that's going to be every six months we have a conversation like, you still, you still want to be here or no? I understand that someday you're not going to want to be, whether you're doing your own thing or you want to go back to law school or whatever you're going to want to do. It's great. I want to support you. Let's just do it really well. And so at that point, if they want, like, you know, I really want to start something. I'm sick of working for you. Um, I'm like, okay, let's, let's do it together then. Because we built a depth of trust. You understand how I work and I'm willing to rest, risk a little bit of my reputation on, on you. I'll bet on you and I'll help you do that. Um, And that's the kind of thing that I've seen my dad do for a long time where, the risk in the short run looks like it's not very smart, 
because you're putting a lot of money and energy and capital into something. But in the long run, believing in that person relationally and financially can really make sense. So you think about it more so from a perspective of less about the opportunity set, but more about the leader to go and take on a challenge like that, finding a skilled or uh, has the potential to be a very skilled operator. Yeah. I also think it matters tremendously about the leadership and, and stability of the company we're already running, right? Mm-hmm. If it was just smooth and man, we're just making really good money and they don't need me day to day. And like the best thing I can do for everyone here is go figure out the next opportunity for the company. That's a different question, right? Like it, I just expanded to a North location this year. I've been wanting to do it for four years, but this year was the first year I had the leaders in place internally that I felt comfortable doing that. If, and when I have those extra people that I'm like, man, you're ready to go do the thing. And the rest of us, it would be, it'd suck to lose you, but it's better for the world for you to go do this. Yeah. I'll push them. I think now might be an interesting time to kind of like ask you about the business as a whole, as you look at it, maybe can you give us some figures in terms of like size, you said, I think you were doing a million and a half in sales when you took over the company, maybe talk about the growth that the company has experienced under you. And then maybe what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've hit uh, in the process of trying to grow that. So we now did 5.4 last year. So by, again, my perspective on the world is like really skewed, right? Cause like my dad has built the landscaping company to over a hundred million. Right. So like IBUS is little itty bitty, but you look at the random guy on the side of the road that's mowing lawns and done pretty well for himself and has three crews and is doing a million and a half. That's really impressive already. Right. So like they look at me and they think, wow, they're doing it. They're really big. I look at me and think like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not even close. Right. We're going to be the, we're going to be, if we're not already, I don't, there's really no way of telling the biggest residential landscaping company in town. I think that's probably, I'm going to, I wrote down a year ago that we're going to be on the top 100 landscaping companies in the US. I, I think that's very realistic. I'm actually not going to, it's like graduating. For me, I was at an expectation that I was going to graduate from college. That's not to say for some people, that's like a really big deal. For me, it wasn't uh, because I just, there was no question that it was going to happen. I just never thought about it twice. I don't, I don't, I don't know what, how my life's going to change when I reach that point. Cause that's just kind of my expectation for myself. So again, I think of us at 5.5 and I'm proud of where we come to, but I have a full expectation of us doubling every four years. The way that we got from one and a half to five and a half, it's not, there's like, if people are giving you, maybe this is my own incompetence, but generally at this size business, they're so messy and fluid and the people based and stuff that like, it's hard to project how you get that next million, except just keep doing the thing better and keep doing more of it and figure out how to find the next piece. So we added irrigation. That's now going to be this year. I hope it's probably going to be $400,000, but I hope that it's going to be half a million dollars. There's a chance. That's so cool. That's a, a whole half a million dollars of revenue that we wouldn't have had if we not done that thing. But it was freaking rocky to get there. Uh, this year we have traction. It's just so, it's a breath of fresh air. We've been saying for three years, this year we're going to have traction. Oh shit, that person left. This year we're going to have traction. Oh shit, that person left. And we've got the team in place and the leader in place to really make that cook. And we've got the experience to really make that cook. So that was a big thing from a growth perspective. Um, I love, I'm not like a marketing nerd in that. Like I don't go and look at all the, I do look at some of the analytics and all that stuff. I love building a brand and like communicating with customers and communicating internally. 
And at the end of the day, if you answer the phone, which a lot of companies don't do, and you do what you're saying you're going to do, we do the vast majority of the time. So we screw up. People appreciate that at a fair price. And we're going to go. I'm also very aggressive from a pricing perspective. And that's been very helpful. Um, and so five and a half, we're on pace right now at 20% for the year over year. Um, so that would put us at 6.3 or four for next year. And that'd be, or for this year, I guess 2023. And I'd be really pleased at 20%. You know, I'd like it to be a little bit higher, but again, I'm, the life circumstance I'm in, if we can pull off 20% this year, I'm going to be really, really pumped. And by really, really pumped, I'm going to have the same exact facial expression. <laughs> what you're looking at is what I can yep. expect uh, with 20% growth or 100% growth. Like it'll be, it'll. this is what you see is what you get. In that type of business, where or how do you think about a mix of volume and price? growth because there's only so much that you can charge for and in any service business you know one of the pluses for the consumer is there's a million lawn care companies but as you highlighted there's a million lawn care companies or maybe you know 75% of those don't pick up the phone when you call them so there's opportunity there how do you balance unit growth and charging aggressive pricing one there's not a clean answer Right. The, we push it, right? Like we've just pushed it as much as we can. A lot of it's, if you're going to even call it strategy, was based on what do I think I can get away with, right? Like I'm not saying like, sure, I'd love to make 75% margins. That's just not going to be reasonable unless I have some sort of cheat codes from an efficiency perspective, which I haven't figured out yet for mowing. Let's call it for mowing. That's just not going to be reasonable. So it's like, all right, well, I just chose a number, right? Like, all right, well, this first year, we're going to see if we can make 50 bucks an hour mowing. And I went and ran this, the numbers on the data because my business partner, again, had all the data. And I said, okay, these all need 25% increases. Oh, shit, that's going to be really hard. Those phone calls were uncomfortable. We kept a lot of them, you know? And so we pushed it. And the next year, I was like, all right, we're going to go 55. We're going to go $55 per main hour. Like, that's how I thought about it. Now we're up to 65 plus um and that's how i price things um from a mowing perspective everything's a little bit different but i've got i, I actually i don't think i have it in here but i have like a poster that is a joke poster that i made that's like just repeatedly different ways of saying raise prices it's like that's the answer from a, a financial perspective in a lot of ways i also just am really very careful about how i communicate with customers around raising prices I made this infographic last year when, when everyone was talking inflation all the time, right? It's funny to me that we don't talk about it anymore, but whatever. And I, I, just, I took a picture of me with a lawnmower, some gas cans, some plants, a truck, and I made labor 18% over last year, truck 33% over last year, plants 25% over last year, gas 100% over last year, because that was when the gas was right. Around. And I sent it to customers and said, hey, I want to work with you for a long time. The only way I can do that is if I raise prices, otherwise I die. But the only way I can do that also is if I provide a fair amount of value for what you're paying. So this is me telling you, I have to charge this and I hope you accept it. And if not, that's okay. You can go somewhere else. But I'm telling you, those people are not much better than me and they're going to die if they don't raise their prices too. And you're going to end up coming back to me. And we've had really, really good success over the years raising prices with that, with that general methodology of attacking it very specifically, giving them like inflation as a buzzword, not useful. Inflation as a infographic that shows what everything changed in price, very useful. Had a lot of people. We had more people respond with, 
this is so helpful. I wish everyone talked like this. Thank you so much. I accept it. Have a good day. Then we did with, I'm going to go find another service. No, I like that because the, the customer is not thinking about every guy on your crew saying, hey, like groceries are getting kind of expensive. Can I get an extra dollar an hour? Or, you know, when you go to fuel up, like all of a sudden gas is 50% more expensive literally overnight. Like they're not thinking about those things. They're just associating with the service and not all of the other things that need to go into that. I think the general mantra, you want to be increasing in excess of the inflation, but that's the time to pass it down to the customer when you yes. have, hey, all of these other things. And that's how you continue to make more money. And I think that you're able to do that when you provide a good quality service. You're going to have a hard time. Either they won't leave because they know you're good or they will leave and then they're going to go try somebody else and then they're going to come back. So if you don't mind, let me tell you a little bit about our leadership program because I'm really proud of that. I uh, that was going to be one of the other things I we're definitely going to talk about today. So yeah, okay, let's hit cool. It. You want to go there now? Okay. Yeah, let's do it. So we run this thing called Leadership Academy, um, and I'll tell you the origin story there. Well, I'll start with the origin story. So 2020 happens, mm-hmm. no one's getting jobs, right? Because COVID and the whole world's terrified. It's just still when we believe that you can get COVID from the Amazon package that was left outside for two days, right? And um, we we go to the I was literally at the office the next day, right? You can't mow laundry mud. Like nothing changed in our life except, I mean, we still showed up to work. A lot of my people went remote, et cetera, all the things. But I was on the phone with my dad and we were thinking, man, there's a lot of really good college graduates that would never think about service world that we could maybe go get. Let's see what we can do it. So we hired this girl and we said, hey, go find really cool college kids and we'll make a curriculum and we're going to run them through our businesses, multiple businesses. And so this is what it now looks like. And this is our, we're about to complete our third iteration. We're hiring for our fourth. So if you're out there looking for small business experience, look up leadershipacademy.io. Or if you're just curious, go look at it. And you can message me on Twitter and I'll, I'll send you resources and stuff. But what we did is we, we basically rotate them through three businesses. We got a coalition of businesses. Um, right now, it's our lane's keeping business at $5 million. The window washing business at about $3 million. It is a fertilization company at about... 16 million and then it's a landscaping company about 100 million next year we're going to add a surveying company which i'm really excited about um frank rivera he's going to be great and you go through these businesses you rotate you do about three months at each of them you start at the very bottom and we're very explicit about how physically grueling this is you start at the very bottom you mow like a top choice you mow lawns for weeks but um, then you move into some more of a logistics role and then a problem solving role. And we have a schedule and it always gets screwed up because of the needs of the business. At the big business, at the, at the $100 million business, they, they have different departments that they spend time in for over that time. But again, even then it gets screwed up because then you do an HR. So you get sent over to HR for solving that problem for a while. These are very smart, competent kids. Kids is the wrong word, but we're talking like master's degrees, talking D1 athletes. Um, like SEC track stars type stuff. Like these are really impressive folks. I, my my irrigation my irrigation department has a master's in law from Northwestern. Like that doesn't make sense for him to come work for us, but we convinced him to, and we've provided a place for him to grow and challenged him. Anyway, you go through those three rotations, but at the same time, you're doing a tremendous amount of leadership development stuff too. So you read 25 books in the year. You mentioned type one, type two thinking. They read thinking fast and slow. They read all the, the classic business books. And our goal is to give them a doctrinal bait, like a doctrine, the, the base knowledge that everyone talks about. If you're going to listen to podcasts or read other books, like what books 
do all the other books re refer to? They refer to Good to Great. All of them are going to refer to Nassim Taleb. All of them are going to refer to Daniel Kahneman and Thinking Fast and Slow. We also give them a whole bunch of core knowledge around like entrepreneur business, like stories. So they're going to read Made in America by Sam Walton. They're going to read Shoe Dog. They're going to read other practical, useful business books like the Voss book on negotiation. They're going to read Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. They're going to read the Constitution. And every single one of these books and articles, they're going to write about what they learned. They're going to apply it to their current business. They're going to take practical lessons in accounting, in Excel, in personal development, in Quest, and all this stuff. And we pay them while they do it. And how do we do that? It's because one, it's a recruiting effort. We're getting really good recruits for the long term. The majority of these people still work with us after the program. Not all of them. And we have good relationships with everyone's gone through. But a lot of them still work with us. And then two, they're doing work. Like these businesses all need more labor. And so while that person is practically more expensive from a day-to-day -day perspective than the guy that you can get to, to mow lawns typically, they're also problem solvers. So they're flex players, which gives a lot of value. Uh, when we need things done, they, they can go get a lot of things done. So we've had, not only has it been really effective from a, a recruiting and, and practical perspective, but we've really impacted a lot of lives going back to that impact thing. This is what I love to do. I love having these conversations about what's your gift and what's not. What, what Do you like working in a $5 million business? Do you like working in a $100 million business? Let's find the right place for you. And I think that when this thing is 10 years old and we've got 100 people that have gone through this thing, the network there from a time perspective and a skill set perspective, whether they're in the business or not, whether they're all over Austin running different things or part of different things, going to be exceedingly powerful. And really, really special from a relationship perspective. We have some really good retreats, um, really good, meaningful conversations and relationships built. So it's something we're proud of. And we, that's one of the reasons I got on Twitter in the first place was trying to share that stuff, which I just believe that most, there's not enough ways for young people to go and taste small business before they see ETA in a headline or the silver tsunami in a headline and think, hey, I'm going to go. I'm gonna go buy a business. Like, I don't know if you should buy a business. You haven't done anything in the business. All you've done is eye banking. Eye banking isn't the, all the same. Like, do you, how are you gonna handle it when your guy comes in and tells you his car got shut up, which is what happened to us yesterday? Yeah. You don't know until you go and feel it. And you may not like that. You need to go see if it's like so you can, what it's like so you can see if it is a good fit for you. And then if it is, then more power to you. You've got all the tools that you need in your tool belt to go succeed in that. How much do you pay these kids or? college students or yeah. uh you know we'll call them kids i'm probably yeah. right in that same category of people right. but what uh how much are you paying them uh so we start with 50 okay. um and then i think we probably i would argue we probably add 10 to 15 worth of education on top of that essentially um so it's enough to to survive but my my general thesis to people in their 20s is that 20s is about learning and the roi on learning is going to be far higher than dollars um, if you can get that in your 20s. And so while these folks could, almost all of them, every one of them assuredly could have gotten paid significantly more, it's the kind of personality that is long-term thinking and likes the physicality of it that comes and succeeds. I think that you've really laid out a good thesis for why it's good for you guys. Like, And, and it's obviously, it will be good for them. Yeah, That's let me, let me think on that. Okay, I was going to say, that's going to be like a hard sell to say, hey, come and do this. Like, what is it that they are saying? What yeah. are they hoping to get out of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I really focus on our side. 
the way I did it, I have this like visual in my head. There has to be an overlapping zone, right? If top, if our companies were only going to pay them zero dollars, of course it'd be worth it to us. Like we would get all the value. If we we're gonna pay them a hundred thousand, of course it'd be worth it to them, right? Like no brainer. We've got to find this middle ground in a place that adds enough value to them to where they're deeply grateful for the experience and that we get enough value out of them to justify running the program, right? That's hard. And that that number is different for every human. We've had a lot, I mean, I had a conversation yesterday with someone that was interested in the program. Ultimately, it didn't work because of that price point, right? They needed, based on their life circumstance and what they were looking for in the world, to go somewhere else. So we've tried to find a place that we think overlaps that well. What we get out of it, I've articulated, is we're looking for, I'm not just looking for someone this year. I'm just trying to break even this year because it doesn't make sense for me to pay someone that kind of money and go mow lawns fairly poorly, right? Because they suck at the beginning. What, what makes sense for me is if I can find someone that's going to be running the next business in 10 years. If I find one of those people, it's totally worth it, right? If I find three people that are going to work here for three or four or five years and help build it while they grow even farther, that's totally worth it for me. But for them, you go and you search Indeed and you search LinkedIn and you look at development programs, there's nothing out there like this that we've seen. If you find it, great, show me. I'd love to talk to them because I want to share resources. But there's no other place where you can go and look at a company that's $2 million and a company that's $100 million in the same year. There's no other place where you can go and look at what the very bottom role looks like all the way up to getting, I don't even know if I mentioned, we get speakers almost every other every week or every other week. People all across the community that are running organizations or have extraordinary resumes or so much wisdom that like there's not anything out there that has this kind of thing. And frankly, we're really we're a community that really cares about you. And we communicate that really well in that you go it and it's not just what we communicate with our words, but if you go and talk to anyone that's gone through the program, they consistently hit on this thing that Nolan and Josh and Chris and Alex and Allie and Towsley and all these people that are the mentors and coaches do this thing, they are here in large part because they care about you. If they didn't, why on earth would I spend this much time away from my kids? Um, and I want my kids to see me doing that. So I'm willing to give up that much time and energy because I believe it's a worthwhile thing. So they get a tremendous amount of value and experience. And to a T, maybe they're lying to me, but I think it's accurate. They tr they come out of it. At, at the last assignment they have as a kind of a T up here for what their feeling is, they have to write their own eulogy. And they go to a, um, a state cemetery and they have to read it to each other out loud. And so processing what you want your life to look like with a community of people that you've worked your ass off with for a year around people that care about you and care about the community and tremendously push you harder than you feel comfortable with is a very valuable thing. And we've had really cool results from it and tremendous relationships built through it. That is fantastic. That is so cool, as you highlighted, like not only such a great and positive, unique experience for a high achieving young person looking for kind of a different perspective. But as you said, and also kind of mentioned earlier, you're seeding your own pipeline of like, hey, we need business leaders. And that allows you to kind of go start this irrigation company. It allows you to go, you know, maybe more opportunities come up. You've got the people, the ones that stick around that are proven. 
and they've kind of gone through the process. What are, I really like that eulogy thing. What are some other things that you guys do in the program that are kind of like that, that are a little bit unique? I mean, I already mentioned it. There's just not many things in the world where someone forces you to read 25 books in a year that we know are good, right? Yeah. Um, so like, I, I read a lot. I, I primarily listen to books actually um, based on my learning style and availability of time because um, I, I layer things, but I wish someone forced me to write out my thoughts on every single one of these things because I'm not disciplined enough to do it. And so they have a forcing mechanism that makes them do that or they look stupid to the whole group because we send an email on Monday saying, hey, Bob, you're the only one that hasn't sent in your writing assignment. Do it now. And, you know, just accountability from that perspective. And so I think that's a tremendous value add. We pay for them to have the audible and the physical book of every one of these books and they have their own writing assignments. We have these buckets of like practical skills that they're learning, which I, I told you again is an accounting book, an Excel book and structure of a business kind of conversations and efficiency conversations. And then we have some self-development stuff like strength finder and um, a bunch of things that like articles and stuff like that. And then we have like practical soft skills. Like we make them give speeches, we make them give a business pitch. Um, and there's, a, there's, I think there's six buckets of those kinds of things. So for all those other SMB owners out there seeding their own pipelines, this, this is definitely a unique program, but I know a lot of folks out there that are training kind of those up and coming leaders that kind of instill in them and those kind of cool exercises really get you thinking. Yeah. I, I, I mean, again, send me a message on, on Twitter and we'll send, we'll email you a lot of the book lists and the questions we asked both the writing assignment and the discussion conversations. That's why we're here. Yeah. Uh, one last question on that. What is the reaction and how does the integration of these individuals work with the people who are in the business? Is there ever weird clashing there how exactly does that go down good question it's important it's important it's very important to have champions in the businesses at the beginning that believe in the thing and we'll trust them um but to some extent we throw them out there right like bob you're on a crew you have a much higher standard than the rest of them but uh, through people on the first day right like you can't show you you've got to perform at a really high level you've got to learn really well and also, here's three things I want you to think about throughout the day. I, by temperament, have done internship programs and stuff. So, like, all my guys are used to this kind of thing. They're used to the guy coming in. I'm sure they eye roll a little bit. But we've had enough good people come through that they now understand that these are, are a good thing. They have to kind of do a little bit of babysitting at the beginning. But, again, you can pick up one line pretty quick. What I think... I, I suspect, I actually don't suspect, I know is that when you're a crew member, you'd rather be led by someone that's done it. And you'd rather have a, you'd rather, the guy was telling you, hey, go do two more houses. I need you to get these done. Um, it's way easier to take that feedback from someone that you've mowed next to than it is from like the guy in the office that's in AC that you know has never done the work. And mm -hmm. so from a credibility perspective, I know it's really, I know it's really, really good from a long-term cultural perspective, but yeah, there's some, there's some eye rolling and stuff. There's some additional babysitting that's done, but I, I'm the one that advocates for it. So they know it's something I care about and I go and fight for, um, each business handles it a little bit differently. 
Uh, Nolan, this has been a really, really fun and enlightening conversation. My One of my last questions here for you would be if we were to take away one thing from Nolan Gore and implement it in our lives today, what do you think it would be? Um, I mean, most importantly for me is that there is this. Uh, uh, so most importantly, big picture and then kind of practically for the audience, I'm going to answer with two things that are one. I'm sorry. Not that sorry. I'm going to do it. I think that there are most people's exposure to Western cultures, Christianity has been a watered down, shitty, moralistic, um, therapeutic morality. And that is not at all what Jesus intended. And it's a, uh, a gritty, hard, beautiful, raw thing. Um, I love sharing that with people. Uh, that's what's most important to me and, and to my to my family. As far as practically, I just really believe in the developing young leaders thing. I just really think it is a good thing for the world and tremendously rewarding relationally. And I believe it is already showing that it will be tremendously rewarding financially. And I think people love the Berkshire Hathaways of the world and the index fund investing, but just do it for a really long time. It'll pay off. But people don't do the same kinds of things with relationships. We're quick to cut things that are not profitable in the short run. And we're slow to invest in the really long term of business leadership development. And people need to do that more. That's a really, really powerful thing that people don't have the resources or the ideas to go do or talk about near enough. And I think if we did that, the world would be better and you'd have more fun doing it too. I think that everything that we talked about here today and everything that you shared really exemplifies. And I think that you really do a good job of driving both of those points home. So I appreciate that. What can myself and or the audience do to be useful to you? Well, I appreciate that question. Um, I, I mean, go go take a chance on young folks. I mean, it doesn't mean cut them a slack. It doesn't mean let them do a shitty job. It just means actually believe that they can do more than you, you think they can and then call them out when they don't. Because I, honestly, if we went and just said this program super shiny, we'd have a lot less interesting people do it. But because we go and say, oh, it's, that sucks. Let me tell you, you, know, you probably shouldn't do this. You're probably not tough enough. It's probably going to be miserable for you. Those are the people you want. Um, so one, it could be helpful if you know one of those people, send them to me. Two, if you want to do something for yourself, go do it. Or we'll send you some of the resources to do it because I believe in that. Um, and the best way, again, to contact me is through Twitter. It's Leadership Acad one or just Nolan Gore. And message me and me or Allie, the girl that runs the program now, will send you the stuff. I mean, that would be the best way you can help us. I'll include those links and your info in the show notes. Uh, Nolan, I really appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely.